السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد الکریم اما بعد فاعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسلی امری وحل العقدانی about ghaslid dam washing off the blood and this raises the question if blood is impure or not because you would only have to wash off that which is impure if something is clean is it necessary to wash that off no it's not so when something is impure then you have to wash it off so is blood pure or impure is it tahir or najis it depends because there are different types of blood and i've told you the different kinds so depending on the kind of blood depending on the type of blood you have to wash it or you don't have to wash it but in particular over here uh this is talking about the blood of uh haid the menstrual blood and what's the ruling concerning that that it is najis so it has to be washed off حديث نمبر 229 حدثنا محمد قال حدثنا ابو معاويه حدثنا هشام بن عروه عن ابيه عن عائشه عائشه رضي الله عنها she narrated قالت she said that جاءت فاطمه ابنه ابي حبيش فاطمه بنت ابي حبيش she came الى الى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم she came to the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالت and then she said يا رسول الله او messenger of allah Inni indeed I imra'atun I'm a woman who ustahadu who has excessive haid who has excessive bleeding meaning I continuously bleed ustahadu is from haid and what does haid mean menstrual blood and this is from the bab from bab istif'al which sometimes gives the meaning of mubalagha so ustahadu istihada is when uh, a woman has haid continuously meaning the blood never stops So I am a woman who has istihada fala athu so I never become clean meaning I'm always bleeding there's always spotting something or the other going on constantly so afa ad'u salata so should I leave the prayer ad'u from da' okay should I leave the prayer meaning should I not pray faqala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam so he replied la no don't leave your prayer inma dhaliki irqun indeed that is irqun irq is uh, a nerve a, a blood vessel meaning the source of the blood is different this is just some internal bleeding so th- th- this is not haid wa laysa bi haidin and it is not at all haid fa idha aqbalat haidatuk when your haid comes when you when you begin your period meaning when the time for your period comes in the month then fada'i salata then you leave the prayer wa idha adbarat and when it goes away meaning when the period is over faghsili anki dam then wash the blood away from you which blood is this the menstrual blood okay summa salli and then you start praying then you pray as normal and and disregard the bleeding qala he said who the narrator and this narrator refers to hisham Uh, he said waqala abi and my father said and who was his father hisham ibn urwa so his father was urwa so hisham added that my father urwa he said summa tawaddai li kulli salatin that in his narration he said that that woman was told to perform wudu for every prayer hatta until yaji adhalika alwaqt until that time comes in meaning until your period starts again 
when you're bleeding before your period, then what should you do? You are, you have to pray. But before your prayer, you are just going to make wudu. Now, when it comes to istihada, there are three statements of the scholars concerning istihada. Okay? Or you can say there are three kinds. One is, one type is constant, never-ending blood flow. Meaning a woman is constantly bleeding. Sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's less, sometimes it's just spotting, sometimes it's uh, color discharge in the sense that it's red, okay? Uh, so that an, a woman never becomes clean. This is just like Fatima radiallahu anha, she said, فَلَا أَطْهُرُ I do not become clean. This is what one kind of istihada that a woman is throughout the month she's bleeding. Another is, that a woman is bleeding most of the time throughout the month, but she does have a day or two, sometimes more, sometimes less, in which she is clean. Okay? A day or two. So basically the bleeding stops for how long? A day or two. And the rest of the time the woman is bleeding. The third kind is that a woman has her period, but that period does not stop. It exceeds 15 days. Okay, and this is something that's not usual. Like, for example, a woman has her period routinely for eight days or nine days. That's her average cycle. Okay. But then once her period goes on to 15 days and it continues past that, it, it exceeds 15 days. So the scholars have said that what is beyond 15 days, that is istihada. What is before that is considered her hayat, but beyond 15 will be considered istihada. Okay, and where did this 15 day come from? From the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that uh, when the woman menstruates and when the reason behind her her naqs, her deficiency in religion is that she does not pray, she does not fast in her period. So the scholar said that half her life she's not fasting and praying, so it should not exceed more than that. So that's 15 days on average. Okay, so from this the scholar said that it should that, that what the bleeding that exceeds 15 days that is considered. Istihada. So concerning istihada, what do we see? That when a woman is having istihada, then what is she supposed to do? She is supposed to pray. She will continue praying her salah. But what is she going to do before she prays? She has to perform wudu. Okay? And the first type of istihada, which is constant blood flow, when a woman does not become clean at all, even uh, if a woman has such bleeding throughout the month, the days that she does have her period, the bleeding is different. And every woman knows herself. So she has to be very observant. Okay? Uh, she has to be careful. She cannot take this matter lightly. And there are other symptoms that accompany uh, the, the, the period. So she should take note of that. And when when the blood, the, 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 the characteristics of the blood are different, her physical state is different, then she, she can tell that she's having her period. So she will consider that to be her period then she will not pray. After that time is over, then she will resume her salah. And all that she has to do is, she just has to perform wudu before the prayer. Okay. But in this hadith, what do we see? The Prophet ﷺ told her that, that wash the blood away from you. Which blood is this? Menstrual blood. So this is the reason why Imam Bukhari has quoted this hadith over here, to prove that menstrual blood has to be washed off. It is najis. In order for a person's salah to be valid, in order for wudu to be valid, the menstrual blood has to be washed off. It should not be on the body, it should not be on the clothes. 
Now, some scholars, they have said that um, where, where, uh, where the instruction is given that before the prayer, perform wudu. What does that mean? That means that when the time of prayer comes in, then the woman should do wudu. So for example, for maghrib, she should not do wudu before the sun sets. She should do wudu when? After the time of maghrib has come in, then she's going to do wudu and then she's going to pray. Okay? Then she's going to pray. Because the, what's the instruction? That summa tawadda'i li kulli salatin. For every prayer. And salah is only mandatory once the time comes in. So once the time has set in, then she will do wudu and then she will pray. And from other uh, evidences, uh, scholars have also said that a woman may even join her prayers. Because it might be difficult for a woman who is in such a state to perform wudu every single time. To wash herself clean, to also do wudu. It might be difficult for her because imagine a woman is constantly bleeding. Already she is physically exhausted and drained. And some women, what happens with them is that if they um, if they have too much contact with water, that upsets their system as well. So for that reason, some scholars have said, and this is from other evidences, this is not just the opinion of the scholars, but it is based on evidences, that a woman may even join the prayers. So Zuhar Asr, she can pray together, Maghrib Isha, she can pray together, but Fajr, she has to pray on its time. She can also combine the prayers. Because Ibn Abbas said that the Prophet would sometimes combine the prayers in Medina for the ease of people. Okay, Not because there was some fear of rain or fear of war or anything like that, but for the ease of people. Because extreme hot weather or whatever circumstances there must have been. So likewise, if, if a woman is in this state, performing wudu before every single prayer might get difficult for her. So in that case, she may combine the prayers. She has spotting before the periods. Now, if it's within the 15 days, other scholars have said 10 days, at maximum length of a period could be 10 days. Others have said maximum length of period could be 15 days. So if it's within that time, then she should consider that to be her period. And if it's outside of that time, then she will ignore it completely. But if that is how the period begins, that spotting or colored discharge, then her period has begun. Because it takes time for the bleeding to begin properly for some women. Okay? And then gradually it fades away. So she will consider that to be her period. One is that habitually, this is what happens with a woman. Routine. And another is that once upon a time that happens. If it happens, you know, once in a blue moon, it might be that one period has been followed by another period. With a gap of a few days, it may start again. Like for example, what sometimes what happens with some women is that after giving birth, the postnatal bleeding that barely ends that they begin their period. So again, you can tell by the state of the body, the type of bleeding. Okay, So the woman has to take note of that. So every woman, regardless of her age, regardless of what stage of life she's in, she should take a note of when her period typically begins and when it ends. Because then when there's something unusual, then you know we become confused about our salah. So take note. Always take note. Making wudu before every salah, does that mean washing the blood every time as well? It's best to do that. With regards to the blood of istihada, it is not considered najis because it's not the blood of hayd. However, however, the scholars have said that it is best and some have said that it is necessary that it be washed off. Why? Because it is still coming from the same passage. Okay, it's coming from the same passage. 
and the more tahir, the more clean you are, the better it is. That clean up, freshen up, do wudu and immediately pray. So that you know that you are the most clean at that time. Bab ghaslin maniyi wa farkihi wa ghasli ma yusibu min al-mar'a. Ghasli washing off al-mani, the money, the semen. Wa farkihi and it's scraping, meaning rubbing it off. Wa ghasli and washing ma yusibu min al-mar'a. Washing off that, meaning that discharge, that reaches from a woman. Meaning the moisture, the wetness of a woman's private part. So in other words, this deals with money, semen, and a woman's discharge. When it comes to money, two things are mentioned. Washing it and scraping it off. When is it going to be washed off? When it's wet. And when is it going to be scraped off? When it has become dry. And both ways are permissible. Both ways are sufficient. Meaning if it's wet, it can be washed off, it can be rinsed, water can be sprinkled over it. And if it has dried up, then scraping it off is sufficient. That part of the garment does not need to be washed. Scraping it off is enough. And secondly, washing off the woman's discharge. Meaning, is that discharge nudges or not? Scholars have two opinions concerning that. Some said that it is nudges. So that means it has to be washed off. Another scholar said that it is not nudges, which means that it does not need to be washed off. And now I'll mention that in detail. Now, let's study money first. When it comes to money, it is one of the four excretions that come from a male's private part. When it comes to discharges, some scholars just gave four kinds of discharges and they're the same for men and women. And therefore, the ruling will be the same. However, men and women, they are very different, even in their discharges. Therefore, I'm going to tell them differently. The men's discharge is separately and the women's discharge is separately. So when it comes to men's discharge, there are four kinds. The first is money. Money is, and we have gone over this several times, just a, a quick review. Money is the semen which comes out at the time of sexual intimacy. It's not mandatory to wash it off because it is tahir. However, it is best to wash it off. And the reason why the scholars consider it to be tahir is that this is from what a human being is made of. Okay, and a human being cannot be made of matter that is filthy. And the reason why scholars have recommended that it be washed off is not because it is nudges, but because it's not nice to have it on one's clothes or on one's sheets or on one's body. So it's best to uh, wash it off. The second kind of discharge that men have is madhi. Madhi mean dhal ya. We have done this word earlier as well. Ali radhiallahu anhu said that he was rajulun madha. He used to have a lot of madhi. And madhi is what comes with shahwa. Money, how is money different? Money is as a result of sexual intercourse. It is as a result of having a wet dream. But madhi is just out of desire. And people vary. I mean, some have it a lot, some have it less. And it is najis, meaning it does break wudu. It has to be washed off. The third type is wadi, waudalia. And wadi is a thick white fluid, which may come out after urination. And sometimes men have it because of some illness even. And the fourth kind is urine, bowl. And that, you know, is najis, it, it invalidates wudu. Now when it comes to women, 
when it comes to women, the first kind of discharge women have is the normal vaginal discharge. And some scholars have called this vaginal discharge wadi. But when this term is used for it, wadi, then it seems to be the same wadi that men have. But it is not wadi. Because wadi is accompanied by urine or it is a result of some kind of illness. But the vaginal discharge, the normal vaginal discharge that women have, this is not necessarily accompanied by urine, nor is it a result of some illness. All women have vaginal discharge throughout the day. Some have less, some have more. Some women always have the same color discharge. Other women, their discharge changes color. Likewise, the texture may be different. Sometimes it may be thin, sometimes it may be thick. The texture may be different. And all of this depends on various factors. If a woman is pregnant, her discharge will be different. If a woman is, you know, taking some kind of medication or nursing or sexually active or sexually inactive, all of these things play a role on the kind of discharge that she will have. However, even stress, stress has an effect. Okay, lifting something heavy, that may have an effect. So all women, the point is that all women will have vaginal discharge throughout the day, throughout their lives. Okay, some will notice it more, others will not even notice it. And the thing is that in the Sharia, there is no textual proof. There is no textual evidence that tells us that that vaginal discharge is something that is najis, that breaks the wudu. There is no textual evidence. Likewise, we see that the women at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they would ask questions concerning menstrual blood or concerning istihada, but they're not asking questions concerning vaginal discharge. Whereas it is something that's so common. All women have it. The fact that they didn't question, scholars have said that this means that it was considered normal. Just like when a person is fasting, his mouth is wet with saliva. The people didn't ask, if you swallow your saliva, does that invalidate your fast? No, they didn't. Why? Because it's understood you're going to swallow your saliva. Likewise, it was considered understood that a woman is going to have vaginal discharge. So because of these reasons, the scholars have said that it is something that is not najis. It does not break wudu, nor does it have to be cleaned. And if you go too much into the textures and the colors, then it will invite a lot of trouble. The sound differentiated between the texture and the color. Okay, that if the color is like this, if the texture is like this, then that will break wudu. Now, if a woman realizes too late, or she doesn't have that kind of knowledge, she's an average woman, then how is she going to tell? And the thing is that the texture, the color can vary within hours, within minutes sometimes. Literally it can. So this is something that's not that complicated. Okay, we should not make it too complicated. Just like the Bani Israel, when they asked too many questions about the color, the texture of the cow, they were inviting trouble. So likewise, we should not invite trouble in ourselves. When the Sharia is silent about it, we should also accept it as it is. So to conclude, vaginal discharge, the normal vaginal discharge, what is it? It is tahir. It does not need to be washed off. It does not invalidate wudu. Nor does it require ghusl. The second type of discharge that a woman may have is madhi, which is the fluid which is excreted as a result of sexual excitement. When a woman has excessive vaginal discharge or she has a lot of discharge at the time of sexual excitement. So it may be as a result of, you know, sexual thoughts or kissing or foreplay, 
or whatever. So remember, this is not tahir. It is not clean. It has to be washed off. So basically, you can differentiate, you can categorize vaginal discharge into two categories. One is normal and the other is with pleasure. The one with pleasure, that is the problem. The one without pleasure, don't worry about it. Don't care about it. You can ignore it. All right? The third kind of sexual discharge that a woman may have, scholars have termed it as money, which is the fluid emitted at the point of climax. So basically, at the time of sexual intercourse. The Prophet ﷺ said, the water of the man is thick and white and the water of the woman is thin and yellow. So a woman has it. This is narrated in Sahih Muslim. It has a certain kind of smell. It smells like pollen and it comes with intercourse or even wet dream. So this, remember, it invalidates wudu. A ghusl is required. A ghusl is required. The fourth kind of discharge that a woman may have, or excretion rather, is urine. And that, you know, it just invalidates wudu and it is najis. The fifth kind is damul hayd, the blood of menstrual blood, basically. Menstrual blood, is it najis or tahir? It is najis, it is impure. Does it have to be washed off? Yes, it does. The sixth kind is damul istihada, the blood of istihada. That blood, is it najis or tahir? There is a difference of opinion, but it's closer to being najis. Why? Because it comes out of the same passage. Okay, you might say vaginal discharge also comes out of the same passage, but it doesn't have the same characteristics as that of blood. Vaginal discharge is something that is normal, whereas the blood of istihada is not something that is normal. So they are very different. And damul istihada, does that invalidate wudu? Yes, it nullifies wudu. But does it require ghusl? So in summary, these are the six types of excretions that a woman may have. And it's necessary to know, understand, recognize each one of them because otherwise our lives will be full of confusion. Our salah will be performed with shak. Our state of tahara or non-tahara will be always confused. Okay, so it's very, very important to know these differences. Now let's look at the ahadith. حدثنا عبدان قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا عمرو بن ميمون الجزري عن سليمان بن يسار عن عائشة قالت she said كنت I used to أغسل I would wash off الجنابة the جنابة من ثوب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم from the clothes of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فيخرج إلى الصلاة and he would Go out for the prayer. وَإِنَّ أَنْ إِنْدِيد بُقَعَ الْمَاءِ فِي ثَوْبِهِ The patches of water would be on his clothes. بُقَعَ is the plural of بُقَعَ and بُقَعَ is used for a spot, okay, a site, a place, a patch and the word is also used for a spot or a smudge. So for example, if a piece of cloth is wet from a certain area, so it's like a spot, okay, it's smudged. So it's also used for that. So the buqa' al-ma, the wet patches of water, would be on his clothes. Meaning you could see the wet spots on the clothes. Now, Aisha anha, she said she would wash off the janaba from his clothes. What does this word janaba mean? Janaba means sexual impurity, right? The word janaba is figuratively used for semen, for money, figuratively used for other impurities. Why? Because janaba is a result of those those impurities. Figurative word used for those terms. So over here, Janaba refers to semen. So she said she would wash it off from his clothes. 
what's the tarjma? What's the chapter heading? Washing off the money. So she would wash it off. Why? Because it would be wet at that time. So she would wash it off. But we see that she would not wash it off thoroughly. She would just wash it off lightly because of which you could see the patches of water. That you could see the wet spots on the cloth. Because if she washed off thoroughly, then that would mean that most of the garment would be wet. So it shows that she would only spot clean. She would only spot clean. And when you spot clean, that means you are just lightly washing. Why would she lightly wash? Because semen is not something that is najis, it is tahir. However, it is best to wash it off. Why? Because it's not pleasant to see such things on the clothes. Now, one thing that we see here is that a woman, the wife, is washing the clothes of the husband. And she's not just washing his clothes, but she's actually taking off the impurity from his clothes. Now, some people, they have said that a woman is not obligated to do such things for the husband. Because of which some women, all of a sudden they get very bold and they say, I'm not going to cook for you, I'm not going to clean for you, I'm not supposed to do all this. And some women actually say such things to the husband. But... The thing is that, what do we learn in the Qur'an? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَشِرُهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ That live with them in a way that is culturally acceptable. So what we see is that a person has to see what is acceptable in the culture, in the society, in the family. If the woman of that time, of that society, of that family, of that culture is expected to do certain things in the house, okay, then a woman should do such work. But if such work is not expected of her, the servants do it, then should such work be expected from her? No, it should not be. So ma'roof, you have to refer to ma'roof. Now we see that, for example, when I look at myself, I would, even if I could afford people to work for me, I would not like them to cook. I would like to prepare food myself, the food that I give to my children, that I give to my husband, I would like to prepare that myself. Even if I could afford a servant here in this country, if I could afford a chef, still I would prefer to cook myself. Why? Because I feel that it's necessary for me to know what my kids are eating, what my family is eating. Now, I remember meeting someone who was, mashallah, very well off, and that lady, she said that I had servants all my life, but I would still cook myself. I would still cook myself. So if she expects her daughter to cook, or if her son expects his wife to cook, is that something that's wrong? No. Because this is something that's expected. But if a family, if a household, they have people who come and clean the house, do the laundry, whatever, then if they have a daughter-in-law who's coming in, should they get rid of all the servants and expect that the daughter-in-law is going to do all the cleaning and the cooking and the washing and the laundry? No, this is not something that they should do. So you have to see what is culturally acceptable. And this varies from society to society. This varies from country to country. This varies from family to family even. Okay, from household to household. So you have to see what is culturally acceptable. Okay, because some women might get offended. You know, why is my husband telling me to iron his clothes? I never ironed the clothes back home. And now that I've come to this country, I'm being treated like a servant. No, you're not being treated like a servant. This is something that women do over here. Even women who work, even women who have a lot of money, they iron their clothes themselves. So there is nothing wrong in that. So you have to see. 
So Aisha anha, she would wash the clothes of the Prophet and there is nothing wrong in that. This is a private matter, this is a personal matter, so you know, you would want to do this yourself and not have other people do this for you. حدثنا قتيبة قال حدثنا يزيد قال حدثنا عمر عن سليمان قال سمعت عائشة حاء وحدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا عبد الواحد قال حدثنا عمر بن ميمون عن سليمان بن يسار قال he said so سليمان بن يسار he is saying that سألت عائشة I asked عائشة رضي الله عنها عن المني about money يصيب الثوبة that reaches the clothes meaning that falls on the clothes فقالت, so she said, كُنْتُ أَغْسِلُهُ I would wash it off من ثَوْبِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم From the clothes of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فَيَخْرُجُ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ So he would go out for the prayer وَأَثَرُ الْغَسْلِ And the traces of washing في ثَوْبِهِ in his clothes would be in the form of بُقَعُ الْمَاءِ Patches of water, of wet spots. Now we see over here that for طَلَبُ الْعِلْمِ for the purpose of seeking knowledge, a man may even ask a question from who? A woman. Because a male companion is asking the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. So there's nothing wrong in this. Because the point is what? Seeking knowledge. So if you can have your question answered by a woman, then that is also perfectly fine. Secondly, we learn that a person may verify and ascertain about a matter which people may be shy off otherwise. I mean, this is, he's asking her about money, about cleaning it, about washing it off, that how to do it, is it necessary? What's the bare minimum requirement? I mean, he's asking her about it. Now, this is something that people are shy of. But we see that you have to know. You cannot ignore this knowledge. So even though something a person may be shy of, still he should ask about it to verify, to make sure now we see that Aisha she would wash off the money and she would wash off lightly as I mentioned earlier. Now under the chapter, the chapter heading is what? Washing off the money and also scraping it off. But these hadiths do not point out that you know Aisha would scrape it off. Is this mentioned in the hadith? No, it's not mentioned in these hadiths, both of these hadiths. But we do learn about this from other ahadiths. Imam Bukhari did not mention those ahadiths, perhaps because they did not meet his standard. Allahu alam. There must be a reason why he did not mention, but he hinted towards it. But there are ahadiths, several ahadiths, which mention this. For example, there's a riwayah in Ibn Khuzayma, in which Aisha, she said that she would scrape it off from the clothes of the Prophet ﷺ if it had dried up, and he would pray in those clothes. وَهُوَ يُصَلِّي So, that means that it is tahir. Okay? And you can just scrape it off. Even that is sufficient. Bab, إِذَا غَسَلَ الْجَنَابَةَ أَوْ غَيْرَهَا فَلَمْ يَذْهَبْ أَثَرُهُ إِذَا غَسَلَ When he washed off al-janaba, again, janaba over here refers to semen, because janaba is the consequence of that. So washing off the semen, أَوْ غَيْرَهَا or other than it, meaning other impurities, فَلَمْ يَذْهَبْ أَثَرُهُ but the traces of it did not fully go away. So for example, there is some kind of impurity on the clothes. You wash off. But still, let's say the color is there. And no matter how much you wash off, still, sometimes the smell may be there, no matter how much you wash off. So until you dry it, the smell won't fully go away. So it happens sometimes. Now you might say that, okay, use detergent, use soap. But 
is detergent soap available everywhere? Is it available everywhere? No. You might have it in your house. But what if you're at work and there happens to be an accident and you try to wash off your clothes? You don't have access to soap over there. You don't have access to bleach over there or such detergents, such stain removers. So is it necessary, in other words, to remove the stain? It's not necessary to remove the stain. The traces may remain as long as you have washed off. And remember the method of washing off we learned earlier in the hadith about washing off the blood, if you refer back to it. There are three steps, right? The first is scraping off when if it has dried up. Secondly, rubbing it. And thirdly, rinsing it with water, washing off with water. Now that is sufficient. Now let's say you followed all these three steps, but still the stains have remained. You know, sometimes it happens with children that their clothes, if they've ever leaked in them, even if you wash them afterwards, still the stains remain. Still the stains remain. So is it dirty? It's not dirty. You've washed it. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. It's fine to use such clothes. So, فَلَمْ يَذْهَبْ أَثَرُهُ And we learn from other ahadith that a woman, once she came to the Prophet ﷺ, and she said that I have only one set of clothes. I have only one set of clothes. And when I menstruate, obviously the traces of blood go on them. So what should I do? He said, she said that if the traces remain, then what? She said, doesn't matter. Once you washed off, it's okay. حدثنا موسى قال حدثنا عبد الواحد قال حدثنا عمر بن ميمون قال he said سألت سليمان بن يسار في الثوب I asked سليمان بن يسار about the clothes تصيبه الجنابة on which جنابة has fallen meaning which has been touched by some impurity so some impurity has fallen on it and in particular over here it refers to سيمن قال he said قالت عائشة عائشة said to me كنت أغسله I would wash it off من ثوب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم from his clothes ثم يخرج إلى الصلاة وأثر الغسل فيه بقع الماء so the traces of washing would still be there the wet patches would be there حدثنا عمر بن خالد قال حدثنا زهير قال حدثنا عمر بن ميمون بن مهران عن سليمان بن يسار عن عائشة أنها كانت that indeed she would تغسل المنية she would wash off the money من ثوب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ثم أراه فيه then I would see it in his clothes meaning I would see the traces of the money on his clothes بقعة أو بقعا as a patch or patches so she could still see the patches the traces of the money and also the patches of water. So it's perfectly fine. As long as you've washed off, that's okay. And this just shows that anyone can follow the deen. Anyone, anywhere. What happens with us is that because we don't have this kind of knowledge, we end up compromising our salah. Right? We say that our clothes are dirty or such and such happened, which is why I cannot pray now. But the fact is, all you need to do is just wash it off with water. Just water. You don't need soap. You don't need detergents. And that is fine. Now, it may happen that you may be at the doctor's office. You may be out somewhere. You may be at school. You may even be at Al-Huda. And an accident may happen. I mean, there are many mothers who come here with their children. And with children, it happens that they leak onto you. Many times, they leak through their diapers. They leak through their clothes. So if such an accident happens, doesn't mean we leave our Zohar prayer. We don't pray. That, or that we delay it until we get home and we can change and shower. Yes, it's ideal if you can change and shower, but if that is not possible for you, then don't leave your salah. Just pour water over it, rub it first, and pour water on it, and that's it. Sufficient. 
Now, another topic. Bab abwal al-ibli, the urine of camels, what the wab be? And the dawab, what are the wab? Hmm? Other animals, wal ghanami, and sheep, wa marabidiha, and their folds. Meaning, the urine of such animals, is it tahir or najis? Is it clean or impure? And the places, the marabid is a plural of marbid, and marbid is, is from rabada, which is to lie down, to kneel down in order to rest, and it's primarily the position in which the animals, such as sheep and cows, they rest. So what do they do? They lean down on their chest. So this position is called rabada. So marabid are the places where the animals lie down to rest. So what are you talking about? Animal folds. Okay, sheep folds. So such places. Are they clean or not? Because obviously if animals, such animals are going to be kept somewhere, they're going to be sleeping there, then you can expect a lot of urine and dung over there. So are these places clean? Are these places clean? It depends on if the urine and dung of these animals is clean. If it is clean, then these places would be clean. If they're not clean, then these places would be unclean. The stronger of the two opinions is that it is clean. Okay, it is clean. The urine, the dung of these animals is clean. In the hadith that we will learn, one of the hadiths that the Prophet ﷺ told some people to drink the urine of the camels as a cure for their stomach illness. Now, we know that what is Haram cannot have shifa in it. Only that which is halal can have shifa in it. And what is halal? All halal is tayyib. Okay? If something is halal, it is tayyib. So, if he told them to drink it, that means it is halal. And that means it is tayyib. That means it is tahir. It's not najis. It is clean. And he told them in particular to drink the urine of the camels. Now, why the urine of the camels? Because these animals are eaten. You eat their meat and you drink their milk. So based on this, the scholars have said that if the animal is ma'kul, if it is ma'kul, meaning if it's eaten, it's permissible to eat that animal, then everything about it is going to be tahir. Whether it's milk or it is urine or it is its skin or dung, whatever it is, it is going to be tahir. But if the animal is ghair ma'kul, if the animal is غير ma'kul, meaning it's not eaten, you're not allowed to eat it, then its urine, its dung will be unclean. So for example, a donkey. Donkey, is it eaten? No. Then its urine and dung is clean or not? It's not clean. A cow? Yes. Sheep? Yes. Goat? Deer? Yes. Chicken? So this is the basic principle. If you can eat the animal, its urine and dung is clean. If you cannot eat it, urine and dung not clean. Now, when it comes to the marabit, the sleeping places, the folds of these animals, again, they will be considered clean. Why? Because their urine is clean, their dung is clean, so the places will be clean. If those places are clean, that means you can pray there. But when it comes to the folds of the sleeping places of camels in particular, Okay, the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from praying over there. Not because of those areas being najis, but because of another reason. And what's that reason? That it's not safe. It's not safe. 
Because camels are very different. Camels are very different animals compared to cows and goats and sheep. If you pull a sheep and the sheep doesn't like it, the next day she'll forget it. But if you hurt the camel, if he gets annoyed, if he gets offended, he's not going to forget it for 20 years if he lives that long. Yes, he will attack you and kill you. Literally. My husband's grandmother, she was telling me that when she was a little girl, once it happened that a camel, somebody else's camel, ran into somebody's property and a man came running and he said, get into your houses, get away, hide quickly. Don't come in front of this camel. Because if he sees you, he's going to attack you. Because that camel was very angry about something. So it's not safe to pray in such places. Also, it has been said that camels are خُلِقَتْ مِنَّ shayateen, Meaning they're created from the same matter. They're very similar in their nature to shayateen. And shayateen, they actually like camels. And they actually live in their folds. Okay, they actually live in their folds. So if the shayateen are living in such places, they like camels, you don't want to be praying over there. Because imagine you go to Ruku or Sujood and an animal as huge as a camel, if it wants to harm you, then it can easily harm you. So it's for security, for safety reasons, the Prophet ﷺ told the people not to pray. And you can say that it's not najis, it's not not just that area, but you can say in the marnawi sense, in the intangible sense, it's not really clean because it's the place where shayateen live. We see that camel meat, when you eat it, you have to do wudu. Whereas other meats, when you eat them, you don't have to do wudu. Alhamdulillah. She's mentioning that her mother had some problem with her throat for 20 years and somebody told her that I have camel urine and, and the whole family said that no way, you cannot have it. But she said that it's worth a shot. So she tried and mashallah, she's fine. The question is, why do we like camels when they're so evil? The thing is, they're not evil in every way. They're not bad in every way. Remember that everything has a good side to it and a bad side to it. So take the good and leave the bad. Abu Musa And Abu Musa, he prayed, Fidar al-Baridi was sirqini he prayed in Dar, the house of Al-Barid. Barid is from Barada and Barid is actually used for sending mail. So you're talking about Darul Barid, that is post office. So he prayed in the post office. Imagine post office at that time. How organized the Muslims became so quickly. How much they advanced so quickly. So he prayed in the post house. Wasirqini. And sirqeen. Sirqeen is dung. Sirqeen is dung. So it was the house of what? Post. But there was also animal dung in it. Walbarriyatu and open ground. Barriya and open ground. Ila jambihi was on his side. Meaning he prayed in the area that was used as a post office, and there was also dung in it, whereas right by his side was open plain ground. Okay, He did not pray in Barriya, rather he prayed in Darul Baridi wa Sirqeen. Faqala, and he said, Hahuna wa thamma. Here, meaning this place, where I'm praying, and thamma. What does thamma mean? That, there. 
Sawaun, they're equal. This place and that place. Meaning, this place where there is dung and that place which is open ground, both of them are equal. Meaning, they are equally tahir. It is equally permissible to pray there. I could pray here, I could pray there. It doesn't make a difference. They're both the same. So this means that the understanding of the companions was also what? That the urine, the dung of such animals is not unclean. And the presence of their urine and dung does not make that place unclean either. Whereas human urine, the presence of that in a certain place makes that whole place unsuitable for prayer. Which is why when the Bedouin urinated in the side of the masjid, the Prophet ﷺ had that urine washed off so that the whole masjid would be suitable for prayer. And from that we learn, this is one of the lessons that we learned, that the whole area has to be clean. You cannot have najasa in the middle or on the side or in the corner. So if a carpet is dirty, you have to clean it before you can pray there. You cannot just put a prayer mat on top or on the side and pray there. No, the whole area has to be clean. So this tells us that it does not make the place unsuitable for prayer. And this teaches us another lesson, which is that praying salah is necessary wherever a person may be, even at a post office. So, because the whole earth has been made a place of prayer for us. حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا حماد بن يزيد عن أيوب عن أبي قلابة عن أنس قال هيساد قدم أناس some people advanced meaning they came من عقل أو عرينة these are two tribes so some people came from the tribe of عقل or the tribe of عرينة they came where to Medina they accepted Islam they started living over there but when they started living over there what happened فجتوهو Al-Madinata. They became sick in Medina. Fajtawawu is from Jaw, and Jaw is air. So you can say that the air did not suit them. They became sick to their stomach. And Jawa is used for a stomach illness. So they became sick in Medina. فَأَمَرَهُمُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ The Prophet ﷺ told them, بِلِقَاحٍ To go to the female camels. You can say the milk camels. Liqah is basically to impregnate a camel. And a camel who has been pregnant has given birth and she is producing milk. So, milk camels. So the Prophet ﷺ told them to go there. وَأَن يَشْرَبُوا And that they drink مِنْ أَبْوَالِهَا وَأَلْبَانِهَا From their urine as well as their milk. The Prophet ﷺ told the people to go to the desert where these camels were and to drink their urine and to drink their milk. Why? As shifa. فَانْطَلَقُوا So they went. فَلَمَّا صَحُوا Then when they became better, قَتَلُوا Those people killed رَعِيَ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم The shepherd of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. The shepherd who was watching those animals, who was bringing to them the milk of those animals, and bringing to them the urine of these animals, and because of which they got better. When they got better, they killed the shepherd of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Moreover, وَاسْتَاقُوا And they drove away النَّعَمْ The camels, meaning they stole them. They drove them away, meaning they stole them. They went away with them. And they didn't just kill the shepherd. From other versions we learned that they killed him and they also pierced his eyes with pieces of hot metal. They branded his eyes. So they committed several crimes. فَجَاءَ الْخَبَرُ 
So the news came fi awwal nahar in the beginning of the day to who? To the Prophet Fa fi atharim. So the Prophet sent people in their traces, meaning after them, to go and catch them. Falamma then when irtafa'an nahar, the day rose, meaning after some time, the same day, ji'abihim. Those people were brought, meaning they were caught and they were brought to the Prophet And remember the punishment is of qisas. That whatever crime a person has committed, the same punishment is going to be carried out on him. So if he has killed, he will be killed. If he tortured, he will be tortured. If he put pieces of hot metal in the eyes of someone, the same punishment will be done to him. So the Prophet ﷺ carried out exact qisas. فَأَمَرَ So he ordered فَقَطَعَ أَيْدِيَهُمْ وَأَرْجُلَهُمْ And he cut off their hands and their feet, meaning up from opposite sides. This is the punishment that was carried out on those people. وَسُمِرَتْ أَعْيُنُهُمْ And their eyes were also nailed into, just as they did to the shepherd. وَأُلْقُوا فِي الْحَرَّةِ And they were left in the harra. Harra is a particular place in Medina. Uh, basically it's a very rocky area which gets very hot. This is why it's called harra from har, heat. يَسْتَسْقُونَ They would ask for water, فَلَا يُسْقُونَ And they would not be given water. قَالَ أَبُوْ قِلَابَ أَبُوْ قِلَابَ said, فَهَاُولَاءِ So these people, why were they punished like this? Because سَرَقُوا First of all, they committed theft. Secondly, وَقَتَلُوا And they killed. Thirdly, وَكَفَرُوا And they committed kufr بَعْدَ إِيمَانِهِمْ After their iman. وَحَارَبُوا اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ And they also waged war against Allah and His Messenger. So because of these severe crimes, they were punished so severely. Now in this hadith, what do we see? The Prophet ﷺ told them to drink the urine of the camel. So that means it is clean. It has shifa in it. And the Arabs would use the urine of the camels for for shifa. Now it may seem very strange to us, but like it was mentioned, this has happened even today, that someone used it and they were cured. And if you think about it, Pharmaceutical companies, they use all sorts of things that you don't even want to know about. What's in the vaccinations? You don't even want to know about what's in the vaccinations, right? All sorts of things are there. Why? Because there are healing properties in these things. We might be disgusted, we might not agree, we might feel horrible, but there is some benefit in them why those things are being used. Some things may be unethical. I'm not going into that argument. But the point that I'm making over here is that shifa is not just kept in vegetables and fruits and grains and oils. Okay? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put shifa in different things. And from the hadith we learn it is in the urine of the camels as well. And what's the big deal? I mean, you eat the meat of that camel. Every part of the camel is consumed. I mean, people even eat the stomach, the intestines, and I, I don't know what all. Right? So if you can eat the meat... If you can eat the body part of it, you can also eat the byproduct, right? Now, so this is something that we learn in this hadith, and that's the reason why this hadith is mentioned over here. But before we continue, a little about the incident that is mentioned in this hadith. That these people, the Prophet ﷺ did great ihsan on them. They came to Medina, they got sick, the Prophet ﷺ sent them himself to benefit from the camels that belong to the Muslims, and how did they return the ihsan? By killing the shepherd, by stealing the animals, and by torturing the shepherd, by revolting against Allah and His Messenger. And this incident greatly grieved the Prophet ﷺ. It made him very sad. Which is why we see that the punishment was also very, very severe. The crime that these people committed was of what? First of all, theft of camels, qatl of the shepherd, irtidad. They basically 
left Islam. How? By revolting in this way. Right? And also waging war against Allah and His Messenger. How? By creating fasad, by killing the shepherd of the Prophet ﷺ. This is waging war. This is declaring war against someone, declaring enmity. So they committed many crimes. And the punishment is according to the crime. And verses were revealed concerning this incident as well. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 33, that إِنَّمَا جَزَاءُ الَّذِينَ يُحَارِبُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَسْعَوْنَ فِي الْأَغْضِ فَسَادًا that the penalty for those who wage war against Allah and His Messenger and strive upon the earth to cause corruption, their penalty, their punishment is nothing but أَن يُقَتَّلُوا that they be killed. أَوْ يُصَلَّبُوا or they be crucified. أَوْ تُقَطَّعَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَأَرْجُلُهُمْ مِنْ خِلَافٍ Their hands and feet be cut from opposite sides. أَوْ يُنْفَوْ مِنَ الْأَبْ or they be exiled from the earth. So one of these punishments, not all of them, one of them could be applied. And later on when the hudud were revealed, uh, then those hudud were carried out and such punishments, we see the Prophet ﷺ did not give them ever again. This was the one and only time the Prophet ﷺ gave such a severe punishment. After that, he never repeated such punishment again. And this hadith also teaches us one more thing, which is that when a group of people is involved in committing a crime, then every single one of them is held responsible. A group of those men, they killed one shepherd. But we see that not one of those individuals were was punished, but all of them were punished in the same way. Because the one who helps someone, the one who cooperates with someone in doing something, is as though he has done it himself. He is also equally guilty. So this is why the punishment was carried out against every single one of them. This is why we should not even cooperate with someone who is doing something wrong. حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا شعبة قال أخبرنا أبو التياح يزيد بن حميد عن أنس قال he said كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنس رضي الله عنه he said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he used to يصلي he would pray salah قبل before أن يبنى that it was made what was made المسجد the masjid في إن مرابض الغنم in the sheep folds in the sleeping places of the sheep he would pray over there. When the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, was there a masjid that was already constructed and built? No. When he came, after some time, the masjid was constructed. So until the masjid was made, the Prophet ﷺ would sometimes pray in the marabit of the ghanam. Why do you think those places are not other places? Hmm? Okay, to show that it's okay, but I mean, you could also pray in somebody's house or... Hmm? Quiet area? I don't know about that. It's open and spacious. And it also has like a roof, a canopy, to provide shade to the animals. Because obviously, the people will pray in congregation, or many people would at least pray with the Prophet ﷺ. Now if that was happening in the house of someone, it could not accommodate everybody. Out in the open, very hot. You're talking about the desert sun. Okay, extremely hot. So you want a place that is, you know, that has some kind of uh, protection against the sun. It's also big enough, spacious to accommodate everybody. And such places were animal folds. So the Prophet ﷺ would pray there. So this means that such places are clean. It is permissible to pray there. But when the masjid was constructed, when it was built, the Prophet ﷺ would pray there. In this hadith, we learn about the urine of camels. So does that mean the urine of other animals is also clean? Again, if the animal is makul, then the urine will be clean. So like people have said, I've only heard that um, if you buy sweets from certain people, they sprinkle the urine of cows over it. Now, 
hygienic or unhygienic, that's different, okay? Because we know that if it's fresh, then the bacteria is much less. And if it's been sitting out for long, then the bacteria will obviously be more. So because of that, I wouldn't recommend. Secondly, uh, if they sprinkle it over their food, it is for a religious reason. Okay, it's for a religious reason. And that's something that makes that sweet or whatever food not suitable for consumption. Every part of the animal that is halal, as long as it's edible, you can eat it. Every part, from the feet to the testicles to the eyes to the brain to the ears, every part. And now it's up to you. In certain cultures, it's considered a, a delicacy. And in other cultures, it's not acceptable at all. So, Fajr, you cannot join. Neither with Isha nor with Zuhr. You see, if it is something impure, then obviously you will wash more thoroughly. But if it's not something impure, then you don't have to be very careful in washing. So for example, if it's just money, then scrape it off, wash it, it'll pour a little bit water, rub it, and that's enough. But if it's muddy, then you have to make sure that the muddy is removed and the garment is you know, fully rinsed out. But if despite rinsing out, the stain remains or the smell remains, then it's okay. okay. Because sometimes the smell will not go away until the piece of cloth has dried up completely. It's okay. The sweat, the saliva of a menstruating woman is clean. Okay, So if she has worn some clothes in her period, they're not stained with blood, then it's completely fine for her to pray in them afterwards. The problem is only with the clothes that are stained in blood. And in fact, only the area which is stained with blood. Only menstrual blood or the blood of istihada, that is something that nullifies. But other than that, if you get a cut on your hand or you have a nosebleed or something, that does not break wudu. And it also kills the germs, right? Sun. How can they be joined? As any time, for example, Zuhur Asr, you want to join. So from the time that the time for Zuhur comes, starts, it comes in, you can pray Zuhur Asr together from that point onwards until the time of Asr ends. Okay? So that whole time, anywhere between that, you can pray. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.